You think you had a bad week, huh? Well, at least you're not president of the United States. Because there were very few people out there in uh, civilized society. You know, we're not talking about Zimbabwe here. We're talking about civilized society. Don't be talking smack about Zimbabwe. Who had a badder week than the president of the United States. Some might say the worst week that he's had since, uh, well, he's been president of the United States. And that's saying something. But don't you fear, because you're going to start the second day of your week outright, right here on, on Sudden Depth with Rashawn. That's me. Alex, that's him. That's me. And we're going to take you very, very low into the profundities of just how bad this week was. We're going to go low today. <laughs> we're going to drop it as if it burns. That's what we're going to do. That's our motto here. Sudden Depth, we Ouch. drop it as if it burns. I've, I've said that for years. Quite frankly, it's a, a bumper sticker on my car. It, yeah, it sounds like a little more STD-ish of a phrase than uh, the classic, you know, uh, phrase. <laughs> that, of course, is one way to look at it. Now, if you have an STD, you probably had a bad week, too, because you got stuff popping up all over the place. But I, I venture to say it's still not as bad as we as Donald Trump had. So that's just saying something right there. That just gives you the, the breath. Uh, just how bad the week was mm. and you know why it was a bad week i'll tell you why it was a bad week it was a bad week because the repeal and replace of obamacare turned out to be well a big failure it was the re-implementation of a showing of just how competent the, or incompetent the grand old party is we've heard these people go around trolleying around and and saying we're going to repeal Obamacare. It's out of here. In a grand old fashion. In a grand old fashion. Which is generally how you ride trolleys. How you trolley about. <laughs> I, There's I'll, no other way to do it. I'll take your word for it. They were trolleying in the trolleys and in the metros and on bicycles, on foot, on skateboards, on rollerblades, and all of the above for the last... Now, I'm not a math major, but um, I would just ballpark it as saying... Uh, maybe eight years saying, wowzers, we're not going to stand by and allow this Obamacare to be passed. We're not going to stand by and allow this Obamacare to be passed. Getting yet. Yeah. (laughs) Singing in the morning, (laughs) y'all. Ain't no better way to start your day. Wasn't Rashawn just telling you about how this is going to be a great start to your week? Yeah. Uh Yep. We got the hits of the 80s with uh, Rajan and Alex. Sounds like a pretty fun 80s morning zoo talk show. Um, but uh, fortunately, our births were in the wrong place and time. Uh, your birth was uh, just about 26 years ago, give or take a day or two or three this time, wasn't it? In fact, two. <laughs> Again, I'm not good at math. <laughs> so speaking of births, I thought I'd throw that in there all sneaky and sly-like like that. Well, you didn't exactly wish me happy birthday just then, but I will say thank you anyway. <laughs> well, I think you get the point and the implication. So, um, moving right along, uh, Grandpa, uh, let's uh, talk about the, the real Grandpa in the White House, Donald Trump. Uh, he has a Republican Party who is very incompetent because they went around for eight years saying, we're going to not let this law pass, and then the course it passed, and then we're going to repeal it. 
lock, stock, and barrel by the roots and the branches and uh, the follicles, if you will. We're going to yank healthcare and Obamacare fashion out by the follicles. And so um, they said that in 2010, and they said it over and over again. And then what happened? Why people agreed? Yeah, this Obamacare thing is terrible. And so let's give the Republicans the majority in the House, and they would have gotten away with it in the Senate if it weren't for those meddling Christine O'Donnell ads saying, "I am not a witch," because that's how they lost the Senate that year, as we all know. <laughs> And so then I said it again in 2012. Well, that didn't work out so well because Obama was on the, on the ticket. But in 2014, they said it again. No, no, no. This Obamacare, you can see how bad it is now. You can see how the website didn't work, how the premiums are rising, how deductibles are rising. And so to the point you can't really afford health care, even if you have insurance. We're going to repeal it. Elect us to the Senate. And, and by golly, by George, they were so elected. 55 Republican seats in the United States Senate in 2014 came to be, came to pass. And, you know, they had passed a bunch of legislation in the House the last two years before that, trying to repeal Obamacare. But, of course, Harry Reid in the Senate was never going to pick it up, and Barack Obama was never going to sign it. But then in 2014, they actually passed it through the Senate, got it to Barack Obama's desk. Of course, he wasn't going to sign it, but then they said, hey, we asked you for the House. We asked you for the Senate. Just give us the White House. Just this one more thing. If you do that, by, I swear on the Bible with my pinky raised, it's a pinky promise to America. We're going to get rid of this bad health care law. <laughs> As you well know, there was a Republican-ish elected to the White House in 2016-ish. Okay, so now let's see. Let's review here. We've got the House. Yep. We, I mean Republicans, not not. I'm not a part of that incumbent group. Well, illegitimate children. A little ambiguous there. Yes, and we've got the Senate. Okay, we got that, and we got the White House. We've got the three keys to getting rid of Obamacare. Now we have a chance to do it. And so came the moment of truth on Thursday, March. Uh, let's see, calendar. Let's see, twenty third. It was time to finally repeal the law that they had promised us for years. They would repeal. It would have been a great birthday present for me. Well, I believe your birthday was not on the 23rd. It was some other well, day. Well, okay. It was near that. Well, that oop, one. Oop, Did you have oop, a stroke oop. there for a second? I don't. Yeah. Um, miniature stroke. Okay. <laughs> okay. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I was worried Just about it for a second. Keep your uh, 911 dialing abilities I'm able. I'm not good at numbers, so you better find a math major. So. This is going to be awkward. <laughs> Yeah. Major, having a stroke. <laughs> well, what are we all going to do? And so, came March 23rd, Thursday, the day that Paul Ryan, the new Speaker of the House, said, we're going to repeal this law once and for all. And then what happens? Why, nothing happens. You see, Republicans can't agree on the repeal of Obamacare. And so, they delay the vote one more day. To Friday, March 24th. 20 odd 17 and then and then here he goes 3 30 p.m that's the vote it's going to be scheduled and we're not changing it yet again this is going to be the do we're or not gonna change it yet again <laughs> weren't you the one lamenting about singing in the morning a few minutes ago well i mean oh my my how times I have changed. i wouldn't say lamenting <laughs> so much i wouldn't either because i don't know what that word means 
And so, what we had on March 24th was the time to vote. The time to stand up and do what you said you were going to do for all of these years as your justification, largely, for getting the majority. And then the bill was pulled. It was pulled out from under the House floor, and now Obamacare is not to be. Now we're stuck with it, as Paul Ryan says. We're not going to have to. Now, how in the world did we get here? How did we get to a point from years and years voting on bills that we knew were never going to pass and to uh, when Barack Obama was in charge to the point where we actually can pass the repeal of Obamacare? Why in the world does that not happen? It would seem as though um, principles were not really the motivating factor of all of those past repeal efforts. It would appear as though politics was. Uh-oh. And so when politics, as a politician, drives you as opposed to principles, well, you're likely to change with the winds, going from one side of the political debate to the other side. Now we have Republicans who would refuse to even vote yay on a clean repeal bill, which, by the way, this bill was far from that, but they won't even do that because, you know, now they're succumbing to media pressure, pressure from the left. You're going to kick Granny out into the cold, into the snow, to eat leaves for the rest of her life. What? You're going to take uh, a machete to her throat if you Ooh. vote to repeal Obamacare. Jeez. Your grandmother is going to. Be, I was going to go somewhere that I'm now not going to go. I like the Republicans. I'm going to change with the winds here and go in a different direction from the dark, very dark place I was about to go. That was pretty dark. That's, that, was going, that was getting pretty dark there. <laughs> the point is, they, they really apparently didn't believe that the free market system could you know, solve the healthcare problems. They didn't believe that competition could actually get those premiums lower and get those deductibles lower. You know, if you could buy stuff across state lines like you do with your, your car insurance or your, your uh, I don't know, computer that you buy from some warehouse somewhere you buy that across state lines but you can't buy your health insurance across state lines no 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 no. you have to buy the monopolized version in your particular state we apparently didn't believe in that when we said that over and over again you think you're saying the reason probably that it didn't pass was um that republicans were not real free marketers they were just uh Partisan, you know, chumps, basically. Is that accurate? Um, a large portion of them were just that. A large portion but, of them who voted for the bill in the past when they knew it wasn't going to pass to repeal Obamacare, now mm-hmm. all of a sudden when they know it can actually pass, they're afraid. They get cold uh, fingers or shoulders or toes. toes. They get cold toes. Um, <laughs> but what about the people who thought, hey, maybe this doesn't repeal, this doesn't change things enough. This doesn't take it, make it free enough, so I don't like this bill. Well, that would be a different uh, of Republicans, and mostly in the House Freedom Caucus. But the people who are Republicans whom I'm talking about are the moderate members, which uh, unfortunately is, is most of them, actually. Quote, unquote. That's right. These are people who voted for the bill before when uh, Barack Obama was the president and they knew it wasn't going to pass. And now they're succumbing to all this fear mongering. 
If you vote to repeal Obamacare, you're going to yank health care away from 20 million, 30 million, 50 million people. And they can't have that. You know, the argument to these people has pretty much been one. Well, we've got this entitlement here now, and so we're just going to have to manage it. We can't actually take it away. But you voted to take it away so, before. Yeah. So you can't really get away with saying you don't want to do what you already did. There was a bill in 2015 that they could have just reintroduced that all these Republicans voted on and have it voted on again. And we heard over and over, we can't just pass repeal. We have to pass some replacements. But why are you doing this dog and pony show in 2015? Either you believe the law should be repealed or you do not. There's no, there's no half pregnant here. It's you either are for it or you aren't for it. It's, it's very disheartening. Now, a lot of interesting metaphors and analogies. They call me Metaphor Merle back in high school, as you know. This morning. Yeah. Morning Metaphor Merle. Yeah. Try saying that, let's say, eight times fast. So I'd rather not. <laughs> not on air. <laughs> Off the air, yeah. Hey, but it's okay, right? Because uh, Bernie Sanders has uh, a bill coming up. Single payer. Woohoo! That has about as much chance of passing as well. Quite frankly, this bill did. Um, as this bill? Yes, this bill that didn't even get <laughs> so. So should have a good chance, right? <laughs> no, that would be the opposite of a good chance. Lisa Murkowski, senator from Alaska. Rob Portman, senator of Ohio. Shelley Moore Capito, senator of West Virginia. These people all vowed to vote against clean repeal bill. These people, by the way, um, well, we know Rob Portman, he voted for the repeal bill in 2015 in the Senate, but now he won't vote for it. We know Lisa Murkowski, she voted for the repeal bill in the Senate, but now she won't vote for it now. I'm sensing a pattern. Shelley Moore Capito, why, she also voted in 2015 to repeal that law, and now is nowhere to be found. Yeah, dang. Cory Gardner, um, well, he's another one. He was elected in 2014 in the Republican Senate wave. I will repeal Obamacare, he said, or something to that effect. And now he's tucking tail and running. So this is infuriating because (laughs) you don't believe what you say. This is clear proof that from the Republican Party, you just vote... um, for political reasons, you don't have any principles behind it. That's true. Now, the people who do have principles, why they are the ones who are now demonized. You alluded to them earlier. Those were the folks who say this uh, hodgepodge of nonsense that we've cobbled together and called it a repeal bill is not actually a repeal bill. This is not actually what we said we were going to do. When you keep uh, things like the Cadillac tax and just delay it, when you have a mandate uh, that insurance companies can uh, impose on you, wherein if you don't buy insurance for a period of time, when you come back into the market, they can charge you a 30% hike in premium rates as opposed to other people. That's a mandate by another name. You know, a rose by any name is just a sweet. <laughs> yeah. A mandate by any other name. Slipping that Shakespeare in there. <laughs> no one noticed. I don't think. I don't think anybody noticed. <laughs> okay. Man, I... I was known as Subtle Shawnee back in so high school smooth. as well. Yeah. So smooth. Smooth and Subtle Shawnee. That was my nickname. <laughs> yes. Hey, what's up, Smooth and Subtle? <laughs> hey, here How comes all Smooth and Subtle. Hey, what's up, SS? 
<laughs> so, heard a lot of that back in the day. Whacker, Rashawn. <laughs> well, I'm offended now. Now you've offended me. <laughs> oh, my. I'm going to move on before I go uh, ethnic up in this piece. Uh-oh. So, you're talking about people in the, in the Plus, house. Plus, now that Zimbabwe. Yeah, I was trying to Revenge move on of here. the Zimbabwe. so hard to move on here. All right, sorry. And so, you're talking about people in the house. I just feel like we haven't been controversial enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had a lot of fun on that women's episode. Yes. That's <laughs> um, available on iTunes, by the way. You go to iTunes, search Sudden Depth, and uh, there it is. You can also go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Sudden Depth Show. Check it out on twitter.com. We're at Sudden Depth Show on Twitter. You can find that kind of controversy and more on all those places. Um, now, uh, what's controversial apparently now is the conservative Republicans. By the way, it should be redundant to say conservative Republican. If you're a Republican, it should be taken for granted that you're a conservative. It should be weird and strange and abnormal if you're a Republican who is not conservative. And yet we have to kind of categorize a small, select group of Republicans as conservative and call them the House Freedom Caucus. It's true. And these people, uh, as you were saying before, had a principled stand against this particular bill. Because of some of the things I said before, and others. You know, this, uh, like one columnist somewhere said, that this really keeps in place the argument that healthcare is uh, now an entrenched entitlement, and that all we're doing is tinkering around the edges to make the entitlement that's not working now work better. Instead of shifting the paradigm to a free marketplace where you know, the market determines the cost of health care, not the government. And so since the paradigm has shifted in this leftward lurch direction, man, English is just a difficult language. We're good at talking over <laughs> here. We just talk and talk and talk and we can do it all day and it, it'll only improve from our already very high point. Uh, here, here. So um, this this new bill, Trump Care or Ryan Care or Rhino Care, if you will, leaves all those things in place. Rhino Care. Mm. Explain. Republican in name only care. Oh, that's right. Rhino Crush. Care. There you go. Crush. Um, it's, and also, you know, this was supposed to be like a three-phased rollout dealio. Wait, should I have known that? Or was like, was that? Or did you just make that up? No, Rhino is a very popular acronym for Republicans in name only, i.e. Uh, Republicans who are not conservative. Like just in general. Yes. So mm-hmm. if someone calls you a Rhino, that means you're not conservative, even though you say you're a Republican. There are many examples out there, like uh, David Brooks, that'd be one. Um, uh, Lindsey Graham of the Senate of South Carolina, that'd be another. And Lisa Murkowski, as we talked about, that's another great example. Great examples. Um, you know, there's probably a list. If you went and searched Rhino, R-I-N-O, on some kind of search engine, your search engine of choice, you'd probably find a myriad articles, whatever that means, of said rhinos in politics. Well, they're all in politics, but in uh, the Senate and in the commentariat, if that's even a thing. Interesting, yes. Um, I mean, there's a Wikipedia article. The acronym Rhino emerged in the 1990s. I didn't know about this at all. But, you know, that doesn't surprise me, really. Well, so uh, Rhino Care or Ryan Care, you take your pick. 
or some would even say Trump care. I would not because he wasn't really involved in the process of designing this bill. But really? whatever you call it, this bill was not the conservative uh, solution to health care that was promised to the voters time and time and time again. No, it was not. And so uh, we had conservatives led by Mark Meadows, this fellow from North Carolina, who leads the House Freedom Caucus, who said this bill is not what we promised and we shan't settle for such trash. Now, everyone's saying, hey, you have to compromise. You can't be a purist. You're being such a purist. Stop with the purism already. If we want pure, then we'll purel, and then we'll be pure. I'll be here all hour. So uh, that is the the common refrain you hear from the Democratic Party slash media. By the way, there's your redundancy right there. (laughs) Zing. you know, oh whoa, oh my, oh Breeze Bear. It's like I, I love. Don't Breeze. worry, no one can hear that. But I, I just like I, you know, you click on a page and then things autoplay. What's with that? We should do a show on <laughs> autoplaying <laughs> one day. This is like the internet of 2002. Please don't do that. If anyone who has a website is listening, don't autoplay things when I click on your site. You have a website. It's just autoplay on that. No. Oh, good. They don't. <laughs> okay. Well, people got to make money somehow. Got to get those clicks and those ads and those uh, things. Yeah, but, you know, there's you have lots of options when it comes to ads. You don't have to have those uh, little ads that just go off and, you know, are really irritating. And autoplay. And just, like, explode into your ears and, like, give you a little bit of a little baby stroke. Did you just have a baby stroke? I had a baby stroke. I had something else, but we won't get into that either. Um, but what we will get into is <laughs> back to healthcare. All right. Um, okay, so these Freedom Caucus folks, i.e. conservatives, i.e. what every Republican should be, there should be, let's see, there's like 230-something Republicans in the House. There should be 230-something Republicans in the House Freedom Caucus. That's what there should be. Yeah. Just so we're clear on that. Yeah. All right. And all these objections to the bill that I just raised – um, were legitimate objections and reasons not to vote for the bill. And so these Republicans that are conservatives said, we're not going to vote for this. This is not what we promised. This keeps in place Obamacare largely. And all the good stuff that we did promise, buying insurance across state lines, tort reform, health savings accounts, high risk pools, all those things don't come until this mysterious mythical phase three, somewhere down the line over the horizon that, well, requires Democrat support in the Senate. And, you know, oh that chance that was ever going to happen. And so you've got some kind of budgetary tinkering, tinkering around the edges in this phase one part, and you want us to vote for this. Now, some might say, well, hey, this bill is going to be passed through the House and then go to the Senate, and the Senate's going to change it. And then when the Senate changes it, cool House rock fans know what happens next. Uh, conjunction, junction, what's your function? Uh, wait, that's the wrong video. Sorry. I meant to say um, <laughs> conference committee. <laughs> conference committee. They reconcile the bills in a conference. And then the, the bill goes back to the House and Senate again to be voted on one final time to go to the president. And so what the House members would have ultimately voted on is not what they voted on the first time, the first go around. That is one argument, but again, you don't know what's going to happen. It might go to the Senate, 
and die there and never get voted out of the Senate. And then there you are, Mr. Republican Congressman, Miss Republican Congresswoman, having voted on this terrible piece of legislation. There it is on the record, and here comes election time. Now you have this bad bill that you voted on that never came back to the House that is wrung around your neck. Back to the violent, dark imagery, of course. Take that. (laughs) And so when you vote on something, you can't vote on something hoping and expecting that the other chamber will do something better to it because you don't know what the future holds. And so when you vote on something, your name is on it, tattooed, um, uh, lock, stock, and barrel, or whatever the silly metaphor is. I don't know. It's, uh, it wasn't that. We're reaching here. We're <laughs> we'll figure it out one day. Um, <laughs> it's tattooed on you, a stitch in time saves nine. Wait, no, that's not. <laughs> it's tattooed on you, a bird in the hands worth two in the bush. No, <laughs> so on one of these days we'll figure out exactly what I meant to say there. But today it's clearly not that day. Uh, so that is why you don't do that, and that's why the Freedom Caucus was right not to do that, not to vote on something that was a terrible piece of legislation. It's not about not being able to compromise. You know, I heard one radio commentator who made a, a very astute point. I thought, you know. You've got to actually, actually, before I get to that, <laughs> our, our our crack sudden uh, see English. I told you English is hard. Oh, our no, crack man. sudden depth show staff retweeted the very sentiment about which I'm about to. Are they on crack again? <laughs> I've been telling them <laughs> stop with the crack. <laughs> At least now we know it. Turn. <laughs> At least now we know what their race is. So. Uh, what they tweeted out is that, uh, well, I'll actually pull it up for you so that I can read it because it's very good. They retweeted some other person who retweeted, uh, or actually tweeted a very astute point. And so if you go to uh, twitter.com slash at sudden depth show, you'll see Hemish conservative, or maybe it's Hemish. I'm not good at English either. And so here's the kind of negotiation that we had going on. We had Donald Trump saying, I'll give you gold i.e. repeal of Obamacare. Then we had the Republicans saying, sounds pretty good. And then we had Donald Trump coming out with, here's a bowl of crap. (laughs) The House Freedom Caucus says, gross, no way. And then conservative media pundits like Hugh Hewitt say, that's your fault, House Freedom Caucus, that you didn't get the gold. No, 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 wait a second. What you gave us was not the gold. You gave us a sandwich full of turds. And you said, you got to compromise. You have to compromise. At least you got bread. So, no, but, you know, we don't want defecation in between the bread. Can we get, like, cheese or ham or something instead of, like, you know, uh, a burger? I will take the cheese and the ham, but not fecal matter. What they got was fecal matter between two pieces of white bread and called that compromise that they had to shove down everyone's throats. True that. I'll point out, by the way, that the bill was at 17% approval rating. And now we're mad at the House Freedom Caucus for stopping a piece of legislation the bill that was has 17% approval by the American people. That's all American. Yeah, it's like, uh, <laughs> woo. So, you know, what should have happened, if we can do a post-mortem here, was uh, you take the repeal bill from 2015 that all those Republicans voted on 
They're all on record having voted for it before, so they can't get out of it now by saying they won't do it. And so Shelley Moore Capito and Lisa Murkowski and Corey Gardner can try not to vote for it all they want to. But uh, we'll see uh, the primary come swift and quickly in their respective elections next time around because they were being phonies and they didn't really mean it when they said they wanted to repeal Obamacare. But if that vote failed, okay, then we can go on to, well, we won't repeal it, but we'll try to make it better. We'll try to add the cross state lines. We could probably get a Democrat or two or eight because you need eight to work with us with things like that. You know, that would have been understandable. But what we had here is people who are too cowardly to vote on repeal. People who, um, you know, wanted to vote for something that was terrible and that would have still left people uninsured, tens of millions. Premiums would have still risen. Uh, You know, the problems with Obamacare now would largely go unanswered. All for the sake of what? So you can say you did something? This is why Republicans are terrible, incompetent people when it comes to government. (laughs) That is also a bumper sticker on my car. Republicans are terrible and competent people when it comes to government. There you go. It's it's a it's a long sticker, but how I, would I how would you indict the Democrats? <laughs> well, you are like uh, Houdini or Miss um, Cleo or um, uh, Origami. <laughs> That's what you are, because that is a perfect segue into the very next point of discussion here: the Democrats and their incompetence, and that comes. Yeah. When it comes to the one silver lining, because the guy has silver hair of this week for Donald Trump, it's Judge Neil Gorsuch, the 10th Circuit Appellate Court judge, well, one of many, who was nominated a few weeks ago by Donald Trump to be the next Associate Supreme Court Justice of the United States to replace the late and great Antonin Scalia. Judge Gorsuch had his nomination hearing this week. And by, he got uh, peppered by Democrats with really terrible and ridiculous They questions. pepper sprayed him. <laughs> they rhetorically pepper sprayed him. He got him. maced by Democrats. However, he took it in stride, and they didn't lay a glove on him. He was smooth as butter, soft as cotton, suave as that lotion that's called suave lotion. That's how... <laughs> He was basically a cottony lotion clump. You really like right? this guy, huh? <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, man. I... <laughs> it reminds me of the last time I had cotton and lotion and something smooth together. Uh, it, was, it was just that good. Now, Ew. what was really, what's really what's wrong with cotton and lotion? Sounds good to me. It just threw up a little. <laughs> okay, fine. Mr. I hate lotion, fine. Or cotton. How about puppies? You hate them, too? Jeez. So, um, Dianne Feinstein. Don't bring puppies into this. <laughs> Dianne Feinstein is the ranking member of the Senate Judici- Judiciary Committee. Ranking and stanking. R- yes. Um, <laughs> sure. Fine. Stein. It's not on my A game today. <laughs> uh, well, you said it, not me. So, I need uh, more coffee. I'll be right back. <laughs> um, Senator Feinstein is basically the leader of the Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee, which is the committee in the Senate that holds any Supreme Court justice uh, nomination hearings or nomination hearings of any other federal judge, for that matter. And she kind of represented and kind of really showed the 
key flaw in Democrat jurisprudence. What they think are the, the key qualities that they have to consider when considering whether to vote yay or, let's say, the opposite of nay on a Supreme Court justice. And why? Don't just take my word for it. Take Senator Feinstein's ridiculous argument for yourself. This is what's wrong with every kind of Democrat question that was asked to Judge Gorsuch on that panel. It was kind of laid crystal clear in her opening statement as to just what they think the most important things for a Supreme Court justice are. For those of us on this side, our job is not to theoretically evaluate this or that legal doctrine or to review Judge Gorsuch's record in a vacuum. Our job is to determine whether Judge Gorsuch is a reasonable mainstream conservative or is he not. Our job is to assess how this nominee's decisions will impact the American people and whether he will protect the legal and constitutional rights of all Americans, not just the wealthy and the powerful. So that's not your job, by the way. Not because court precedent and stare decisis are something average Americans worry about. We hold these hearings because the United States Supreme Court has the final word on hundreds of issues that impact our daily lives. The Supreme Court has the final say on whether a woman will continue to have control over her own body or whether decisions about her health care will be determined by politicians and the government. Or whether separate but equal is the governing doctrine of our schools. They have the final say on that. It never – oh, wait. No, that changed. Yes, they didn't have the final say on that. And whether states and localities will be able to pass laws and make it harder for poor people, people of color, seniors, and young people to vote. It is the Supreme Court that will have final word on whether corporations will be able to pollute our air and water with impunity. Okay, so now we're just into left-wing ridiculous fear-mongering. But the the core... Are you okay? Well, no, I think I'm just choking on all that nonsense. <laughs> Calm down. That was close. Calm down. It's a family show again. Um, so the, the, the core, I don't know, judicial philosophy of Democrats is that you have to have a judge who rubber stamps our left-wing social policies. That's basically what she said. I mean, right. it's like, uh. They want a social <laughs> justice warrior on the Supreme Court. We're not here to see if this guy has any principle whatsoever. We're not here to see if he's a good judge. We're to here to make sure he is going to, uh, what was you, what you said, rubber stamp our left-wing social justice, social justice nonsense. Uh, okay. Oh, my God. So that's not how anything works, you idiot. <laughs> and there's, uh, yeah, I don't know, I don't know. Ten, ten of those Democrats over there, um, all being, as you say, idiots. Every question from a Democrat was all based on what is the outcome of your rulings? What kind of effect does that have? Instead of, did you follow the law when you made the ruling? Did you follow the Constitution when you made the ruling? That really is the judge's job. They don't seem to understand the separation of powers here because it is their job 
to worry about uh, all these societal factors and how it affects their constituents. You know, that's why they're accountable to us, because they're supposed to pass laws and advocate for policies that help our lives. So bad. I I think it's clear from this, you know, they're trying to form a uh, left-wing oligarchy that uh, will uh, move us closer to tyranny. Sweet. (laughs) Let's pretend uh, there's some out there or here who don't uh, know what the word oligarchy means. Mm -hmm. How would you define that? Uh, You know, rule by the few. Well, that that was a very uh, pithy response. I appreciate that. (laughs) And so, you know, Dianne Feinstein and all the Democrats, by the way, Al Franken, the former Saturday Night Live cast member, is now a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. So keep that in mind, that he was one of the people up there. By the way, he's never been a lawyer, never gotten a law degree, gone to law school, any of that stuff. He is on the Judiciary Committee. So, you know, all men are created equal. You don't need to have any qualifications to do things. <laughs> well, that is becoming more and more apparent these days. And now the reason that I said before, um, I think I said before, that Republicans never laid a glove on Judge Gorsuch is because the good judge recognized exactly what the role of a Supreme Court justice is, which is not to make laws which is not to rule in favor of their policy preference, is not to rule based on the outcome. You know, the Democrats kept saying, well, you rule for corporations. When have you ever ruled for the little guy? You don't rule for the little guy. So two things. Number one, that's not true. He actually threw back into their faces many rulings in which he ruled for the little guy against the corporation, so the the premise was totally false. Number two, that's not the question. That's not the inquiry. The inquiry is, did you follow the law? Did you follow the Constitution when you made these rulings? If he followed the law every time he made his rulings, and it just so happened that the coin flipped for the corporation, then so be it. That's, they're not supposed to be there to just rule for the little guy because he is the little guy. He's supposed to take the law and see how it applies in the situation, interpret it, and then the outcome that let the chips fall where they may. It's, it's literally a Disney movie with these people. Why don't you think I'm the underdog? <laughs> it's like, um, because I have principle and sometimes underdogs are evil too. Well, I don't know if we can go that far, but not, well, I mean, the, it can be. just because you are an underdog doesn't mean you have the moral high ground in all cases. Right. So, you know, as we said, you know, the, it wasn't even the case. It was far from the case that he ruled for the little guy every single time. There are plenty of cases where he ruled for the little guy against the corporation, named some pollution cases, in fact, specifically. You know, he's, um, he's a judge in the 10th Circuit, which is out in the west part of the country, the Colorado area. And you, there's a lot of kind of rural issues where you have corporations polluting uh, either water or air of these kind of farmlands or these kind of places where there aren't a whole lot of folks out there. And depending on what the law was, he sometimes ruled for the little guy. And one of the other cases they brought up was this case, this Trans Am case, where there was a truck driver, you know, driving his truck in the freezing cold. The truck apparently broke down. And, you know, because the truck broke down, I guess the heat didn't quite work anymore. And so the guy was out there freezing and really cold. And he called for help, and they told him help was on the way. But, you know, waiting outside in the cold 
why it was cold and he was afraid of having maybe frozen to death. He waited out in this truck. So he got, the guy got out, of the, got out of the truck and went somewhere where it was nice and warm, like a gas station or a convenience station or something. Uh, the, the law, the company policy says, well, if you leave your truck before help comes, well, you are subject to termination until he got terminated. The applicable laws allow the company to terminate a guy if he breaks the, you know, part of his contract. So the guy broke his contract, broke the rules of his employer. He got fired legally. And so the guy sued for wrongful termination. Well, that case made it to Judge Gorsuch's circuit. And Judge Gorsuch, he looked at the law and saw that the company didn't uh, fire him illegally. And so, therefore, the guy loses because the corporation, the company, didn't break the law. There was no wrongful termination. Well, in a Democrat's mind, that outcome is extreme and absurd. In fact, the aforementioned uh, uh, Franken, Senator Franken, Al Franken, he said, I built a career around absurdity. I know absurdity when I see it, and that result is absurd. <laughs> Take a step back here. This guy is Saturday Night Live alum, and he's somehow got elected to the Senate and is on the Judiciary Committee, and he's pointing out, hey, I used to be some hack comedian who just you know, dressed up as characters for a living, and here I am now telling you how to interpret the law, uh, legal scholar constitutional scholar experts i don't belong here and don't you forget it <laughs> yeah that is shorter al franken right there and so that that case came up over and over again but judge gorsuch kept saying over and over what i did and what any judge should do is just follow the law if you people or your counterparts in the states want to change the laws that's on you people that's your job that is your constitutional responsibility to do it's not my job to rule based on if I like the outcome or if I don't like the outcome. My job is to follow the law. Well said, Neil via Sharon. 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 You're going to name your child Sharon, right? I just I realized hope. your name is an anagram of Sharon. Well, okay. um, well congratulations. I appreciate that, I think. I don't know. Oh, well, you know. Okay. It explains a lot. You know. Pretty does much it, everything. Does it, though? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Okay, fine. It does. All right. Now, oh, we agree. back to the point that you raised in the segue to this part of the show. <laughs> what about the Democrats? What about their flaws, their problems? Why, that comes into play with the Neil Gorsuch nomination. Chuck Schumer, the leader of the Democrats in the Senate, some might call him the Senate minority leader, basically because that's what he is. He is now threatening to filibuster Neil Gorsuch. Now, as all you uh, 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 conjunction, junction, just the bill show followers out there, you all know that uh, a filibuster is when some senator, any senator, any one senator, gets up and demands that there be 60 votes on a piece of legislation. Back in the olden days, they could get up and talk forever and ever like the Mr. Smith goes to Washington people did. Um, but nowadays, it's much more streamlined you can just kind of basically threaten a filibuster and there's this vote called a cloture vote that has to get 60 votes and so that kind of is basically what the filibuster is it's a demand for a cloture vote of 60 votes and then after the 60 vote threshold is passed then you can you know 
uh, vote on whatever you're voting on with just the 51 votes. But it's essentially a 60-vote necessity to pass whatever you're talking about. And so Chuck Schumer has already said there's going to be a filibuster. Uh, it hasn't happened since uh, George W. Bush nominated uh, Justice Alito to the Supreme Court before he was Justice Alito. The Republicans didn't filibuster Sonia Sotomayor under Barack Obama. They didn't filibuster Elena Kagan under Barack Obama. But of course, they are going to filibuster Judge Gorsuch because Donald Trump nominated him, not because he's not qualified, not because he's in some sort of extremist kook. He's actually gotten very rave reviews, did the judge, from all quarters, including the American Constitution Society. Now, if you've ever been to law school or ever been involved in constitutional affairs around the country, you know, the American Constitution Society is the left-wing progressive kook version of the Federalist Society. It goes and advocates for the living document of the Constitution and how it changes. And uh, we wanted to, we want judges to kind of enact their political will if it's left-wing instead of actually following the Constitution. <laughs> it really should be the anti-Constitution Society, if you ask me. But no one asked me, so I won't tell you. That, that's what I think. But anyway, there's going to be a filibuster, which is ridiculous. There are many reasons why the filibuster threat is ridiculous and the action would be even ridiculouser. Reason number one is obviously that they don't have the votes through the Democrats to actually stop Neil Gorsuch from becoming affirmed to the Supreme Court. Again, I'm not a math major, but I'll tell you that Democrats have 46 seats in a 100-member body of the Senate. There are two independents who caucus with Democrats in the Senate. So for all intents and purposes, there are 48 Democrats in the Senate. There are 52 non-Democrats or independents, i.e. Republicans in the Senate. Republicans have a majority. And so every Republican is going to vote for Neil Gorsuch. And so Democrats don't have the votes to actually stop, uh, to actually stop Judge Gorsuch from being confirmed to the Supreme Court. Mitch McConnell, uh, the Republican leader or some might say the majority leader in the Senate, has already said, by hook or by crook, Neil Gorsuch will be confirmed. So <laughs> take that. Well said, Mitchell. <laughs> okay. The hook and crook part here would be the, the nuclear option, as they call it. Um, this is kind of the option that a lot of Donald Trump's primary opponents were afraid that he would use. Wait, is, it, wait, is that the hook or is that the crook? Is that, that's the hook? Now that's the hook and the crook. So you have to well, no, you have to hook the, the take the hook and press the nuclear button with the hook because you can't press it with your fingers because you get nuclear waste of repository over your of your fingers like that. So you take the hook and you press the red button and then the nuclear explosion goes off in Japan somewhere. I just don't think any of this is true. <laughs> well, you don't know because you didn't look it up. So uh, that's on you. You just have to take my word for it. I guess you're right. <laughs> I guess that's my only option. <laughs> yes, I do too. And Mitch McConnell has the nuclear option, speaking of options, to get rid of the filibuster entirely for Supreme Court nominees and allow all Supreme Court nominees to be voted on by a 51-vote majority. Or, if your party has the White House, a 50-vote tie. Because, as all of you conjunction junction folks out there know as well, if you have a, a tie in the Senate, then the president of the Senate, i.e. the vice president of the United States, gets to gallivant in and break the tie. And so, of course, 
in this case, the Republicans control the Senate and the White House. So the, the Republican Vice President Mike Pence would gallivant in in the event of a tie, which there won't be here, by the way, to break that tie. And so this is the precedent that Democrats are going to set. And it's ridiculous of a precedent because this nomination and this affirmation to the Supreme Court would not change the balance of power on the court. It would be one conservative replacing another one. You would think Democrats would save this fight for like when Ruth Bader Ginsburg kicks the bucket or Stephen Breyer, someone of that effect. Come on, y'all. Because of- Wait for Ginsburg to die. I was going to try to be more sensitive to that, but uh, fine. Yeah, kicks the buck is, I think, the most, most sensitive death expression. <laughs> Definitely the most sensitive. Yes. And so, you know, when that happens, then all Hades would obviously break loose because if Donald Trump's still president at that point, and he can nominate another Neil Gorsuch and change the court's trajectory for the better, if you ask me, but for the worse, or if you ask them, this is... the. Yeah. Um, so what what do they hope to gain by filibustering Democrats? Democrats. Well, there's a, several things. There's this thing called the kook left wing base. <laughs> We've chronicled their nonsense many times on this show. We certainly have. They are out there with signs and other things demanding hats, hats, buttons, pins, stickers. Um. Tattoos, um, yeah, documents, altered genitalia, right? Uh, those little jet lines that you in the sky that they write with the planes, growth hormones, and all those things. Yes, ads, ads. There are a lot of ads. Those are actual, banana hammocks, actual, and those. They are demanding that Democrats stand tall and not give an inch, not an inch on this nomination. That they want him stopped at all costs because the kook base, like the kook representatives that represent them have the same philosophy. You have to be someone who advances our social agenda if you're on the Supreme Court. Otherwise, you are unacceptable. And so they're getting a lot of pressure. In fact, I believe that when the nomination of Neil Gorsuch was announced, there was a crowd of kook fringe nuts outside of Chuck Schumer's house protesting, demanding that he stand firm on this nomination and not give an inch. Um, That's what most of it is. And there's a smaller portion, but still significant portion of this resistance, which is what this is, resistance, that comes from Barack Obama's final nomination to the Supreme Court of Merrick Garland. He, of course, was nominated back in 2016 during the election year, something that hadn't been done in 80 years. And so Republicans said, let's let the voters decide. If you want Merrick Garland so bad, then vote for Hillary Clinton. If you want someone else, vote for someone else. Lo and behold, they voted for someone else. So... They're, um, as some folks in the, in the colloquial world would say, butt hurt over that. They say, hey, you didn't vote for Merrick Garland, our guy, so we're not going to vote for your guy. In fact, for whatever reason, Democrats hammered Neil Gorsuch over the Merrick Garland question. Do you think Merrick Garland was treated unfairly? Why wasn't Merrick Garland nominated? <laughs> This had, of course, nothing to do with Neil Gorsuch at all, but uh, he was asked about it over and over anyway. So most of the resistance comes from the coup base, and uh, a smaller yet still significant portion comes from payback. Payback's a female dog, that personality. That personality, that was a weird thing to say. That mentality. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because it's, it's basically, um, essentially it comes down to resentment and revenge. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, it's like, oh, great. That's what our leaders are basing their decisions on. At least our left-wing leaders. Now, to be fair, Republicans, not all of them during this hearing actually use their time wisely either. In fact, Senator Sass, at, uh, I think, I think it, was, it was Senator Sass from Nebraska or Senator Flake from Arizona, one of those two. I think it was Flake, actually. He took Flake a question. and Sass. Yes. Uh, I think Senator Flake took a question from his son. His son had asked Senator Flake to ask Judge Gorsuch the following question. Would you rather fight one duck-sized horse or a hundred horse-sized ducks. I'm so glad we got the autistic son's ridiculous question in there. That's great. And they act like Republicans don't stand up for the little guy. Or the little duck, certainly. Or the little horse that's the size of a duck. They stand up for those. And there are other questions asked from Republicans about... Um, uh, so senators, this was Senator Staff. His wife asked how Judge Gorsuch went so long in those hearings without going to the bathroom. And there was a, the word SCOTUS bladder was hashtagged and that, uh, you know, that's, that's the pressing issue we need to know about. Don't course. you need a pee, sir? Yes. Um, others gave speeches, but so I, I'm kind of an advocate of if you're in a hearing like that, um, even if you Put are yourself up to a catheter, just piss that, into a bag. That, that's number one. But number two, Use your time to ask, you know, serious questions, please. Let's not waste all of our time at hearings, either asking stupid questions or asking about, you know, a hundred horse-sized ducks, or I guess it'd be one horse-sized duck. I bet Merrick Garland would have needed to pee by now. Right. Um, but, you know, some of them were, most of the Republicans did ask legitimate questions and, you know, they understand the role of a judge on like Democrats and, even the ones that asked those the silly questions, the softballs, eventually got back to more constitutional efforts. But the real point here is Democrats, of course, are going to make a huge mistake because if they filibuster this, Republicans are going to stand united in changing the rules so that it only requires 51 votes to pass Supreme Court nominees. And that's going to be the new precedent from now until eternity. You, you may remember that Harry Reid, the disgraceful former Senate minority leader, or the, I guess he was the majority leader at that time, he passed, uh, he changed the rules back in 2013 so that all lower court federal judges, those nominees, and cabinet nominees for the president all needed 51 votes. All of those nominees before he needed 60, Harry Reid, the Democrat, changed it so that they needed 51. That's how Trump was able to railroad through all of his cabinet nominees, or almost all of them, because <laughs> he didn't need Democrats because Democrats changed the rules. And so they came back to rue the day that they did that. You guys are idiots. And they are about to go down the same path yet again. Um, so, by the way, that's how Betsy DeVos, who was probably the most controversial nominee, got through on a 50-50 tie with Mike Pence voting for her. If you Democrats hadn't changed the rules back in 2013, why that never would have happened, we would not have had Secretary DeVos to this day. I don't have a problem with her, but they certainly did, and it's their fault that she's in there now along with Jeff Sessions and uh, Steve Mnuchin and Wilbur Ross and pretty much everyone, because Democrats oppose almost every nominee from Donald Trump. But it's their own fault, and they're going to do the same thing again. And so when Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if, God forbid, were to kick the bucket or retire, or even someone like uh, Anthony Kennedy, who was rumored to be retiring this summer, rumor has it, that's a moderate swing vote. If uh, a Neil Gorsuch type is nominated for his seat, 
then we're going to have a really solid republic or conservative constitutional majority in the Supreme Court. And so you would save your firepower for that time if you're a left-wing nut Democrat, I would think, but apparently not. And so Democrats, you know, we talked about the Republicans being incompetent before. My Democrats, they're just intransigent because as we on this show discussed in the early days of this new administration, they don't know when to pick their battles. Everything has to be all out war with the Trump administration if you're a Democrat. And the problem with that is going to be that you change the rules so that in the future, when you really wish the rule were still there, the rule will be somewhere else, i.e. gone. <laughs> and uh, that's your own gosh darn fault. It's your own gosh darn fault, y'all. Now, you know, y'all really fudged it up this time. <laughs> I, I feel like I've heard that refrain somewhere before, but I won't go nope, into no that. Idea where you, <laughs> no idea where that would have been heard. Now, we know that the lower court nominees kind of play an essential role <clears throat> in the cases that make it to the Supreme Court because the Supreme Court doesn't have to take every case that is petitioned to it. You know, appeals courts do, but the Supreme Court does not. And so the, the Supreme Court may have had to hear or may have to be petitioned to hear a case that came out of the Fifth Circuit. Uh, this Fifth Circuit case involved uh, some statues of your favorite Civil War icons and mine, Robert E. Lee and Jefferson Davis, who are Confederate leaders. <clears throat> they had these big, nice statues up in New Orleans um, on Public and quick because we um, got about a minute left. Okay, I was gonna be. Uh, remember, I'm smooth and suave and subtle, Shawnee. Um, they uh, these statues were up on the New Orleans city property, and some people who were angry about that uh, sued the city. And of course, because this is public property, the city is allowed to have Confederate soldiers up on the property. And for whatever reasons, plaintiffs in this case thought that this would be a good idea to sue and they thought that it somehow win when these are historic figures like them or not and most people do not um and they're on public property so this is one of the cases that neil gorsuch might hear along with many other cases that come to the supreme court and so we want him on the supreme court we've decided right yes we're for gorsuch we're pro gorsuch here um yeah we'll give him the uh the old endorsement now, we don't want him to turn into a David Souter or John Roberts on Obamacare, where he acts, talks to a conservative game in his hearings, and then when he gets to the court, why he does just the opposite of that. But I don't think he will because he has a track record, which John Roberts did not, and David Souter was outcome people. I like the outcome, so I'm going to rule in that favor. Um, so we will see if this next week is better than this past week for Donald Trump, but uh, next week's show will be just as good, even better maybe than this show of Sudden Death. And we'll obviously see you then. Can't wait. Goodbye. Bye.